Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Wallentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the Cuban Missile Crisis. So grab your naval quarantine. And let's get civical. Everybody. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I am Lizzie Stewart. Hell yeah. Hell mm. yeah. And I am Arden Wallentowski. And I've been saving this because we've been talking before we pressed record, but I've been saving this piece of information and keeping it from you for when we were live on the air. Oh. I watched Hocus Pocus 2. Yes! So let's talk about it. Oh, my God. Um, First of all, I have a question for you. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, it's spooky season. So Arden and I have been keeping each other up to date with what Mm -hmm. we've been watching that's spooky related. Yes. Spooky movies, spooky TV shows, et cetera, et cetera. We will get to the episode topic, which has nothing to do with this, but humor us for like three minutes. Although today's topic does have to do with being terrified for a prolonged period of time. You make that connection, but do it in three to five minutes when we're done with this conversation. Hit me. So first of all, did you like the film? Did you like Focus Focus 2? Okay. Second question. Why? I think think they did some things really well Mm -hmm. that harkened back to the original. And Mm -hmm. the parts where I feared they would go astray Mm -hmm. were not as bad as I thought they would be. And I okay. and I think like some of the jokes were really good. You mm-hmm. know, like they found different ways to like in that whole I don't want to like spoil stuff, but like in the whole like pharmacy scene, the where they're mm-hmm. like, like you know, there was stuff in there that I was like, right, this is a a harken back to tis a full black river. Perhaps it is not mm-hmm. too deep, right? Like that's that whole scene. But like in a different context for this new movie. Um, And I thought that stuff, that kind of stuff was well done and funny. It was one of those, I mean, it's clearly, this is what we were talking about a little bit last week, except you hadn't watched watched the film. It's definitely Mm -hmm. like a movie of now. And Hocus Pocus 1 is a movie of the 90s. This is a biopic, biopic, biopic. Biopic, biopic. It's one of them. I don't always like those. I think it worked well enough in Hocus Pocus 2. I don't want to say anything about the ending because I feel like 
if somebody hasn't mm-hmm. watched it, I don't want to give it away. But no spoilers. But yeah, but I, I like yeah. For what it was, I liked it. Okay. I didn't like it, and I don't think that's surprising because I think that I was destined to not like it. Yeah. And it could be just like a massive nostalgia attachment mm-hmm. to the first. And I've been, I mean, because I watched it with a couple of friends and immediately we started arguing about if it was good enough or not. Because half of us liked it and half of us didn't. Mm-hmm. And upon further reflection, I think my biggest issue with the film that is missing that the first one had was tension and like stakes like like moments of life or death tension and stakes like i felt this was a very light and fun mm. film mm-hmm. which is which is like great so is hocus pocus one right but there are also moments where it is there is some actual darkness and because these witches are evil right you know what i mean like like and they're fun and they're quirky, but at their core, like they're they're bad you know, people. In the first one, I'll spoil the first one because if you haven't seen Hocus Pocus one, what are you even get doing it, with get your it life together? But in the first one, like they're they're sucking the lives out of children. Right. right. Like it's so dark, and I get probably nowadays that doesn't fly for Disney Channel, but I think that we could have found yes something more. Like substantial, like something more meatier yeah. to to chew on, because I just felt that without it, it made our three witches who were having a great time, and I also had mo- like there were moments where I was cackling, like there's moments yeah. of really good jokes and yep. humor, yeah. But without that, like, kind of intense, I don't know, mission that they're on or whatever, yeah, they just seem kind of like caricature in a way that I feel like they're more grounded in the first. Like, we never, they they never get one up on the kids in Hocus Pocus 2. Well, the witches never, like, one up on the kids. And they do in Hocus Pocus 1. So I oh, feel like yeah. in, in the second one, they're, they're made to seem like they're kind of a little bit airheady. Yeah. And they don't ever get it together. Like, they are in the first, but they get it together and they, like end up outsmarting the kids at one point. Mm-hmm. But in Hocus Pocus 2, it's like they're always losing. <laughs> I agree. I, I agree. I didn't... The things that felt really Disney Channel to me about it were was, like, the shop owner guy and his whole, like, I'm gonna bring back... Like, he... Oh, yes. Right? Yes. Like, sorry, sorry, that sorry. to I was me like, was yes. so Disney Channel because he, like, tricks them yeah. into lighting it. Sorry, now just full spoiler. I mean, not even... We're just... high. No, I don't... I mean, it's like, they come back. Right. You know? Yeah. They come back. And... And... and yeah. But he, he tricks these kids and... And, and they're... Like, the, I think part of the issue was that those three characters, that crew that new three person crew Mm -hmm. were so boring they were so weak so they were so weak but they just had like no driving like they didn't have anything that they wanted except to get rid of the sisters yeah which is exactly what the people in the other movie want but but like max and the crew are like actively engaged in the getting rid of the sisters like they take it on themselves whereas these three just are like 
let's just leave them here and it will be fine. And you're like, yeah. no, 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 it's not going to be fine. No, no you got to do something. But I think the reason is, and this harkens back to my first point, the reason is because in the first one, the witches, like they're, what they're trying to do, like what they're trying to accomplish is to literally murder children. Right. And so the trio has to stop them. Right. Because there are killers on the loose, essentially. Whereas this one, there is no... Right. They never say what they're going to the do, right? The like not... What are they back to do? They, like, they never say. I guess do the do the thing, but then it's immediately like, oh, no, I want to have the spell where I have all the power. Like, they're, oh, eight, like God, the I witches lack, like... Yeah. They lack they lack a hero's journey or a, or anti-hero's journey. Yeah. There's nothing that they're propelling towards. And so there's nothing for our trio right. to stop. It's like, oh, you're back. That's probably bad because I know you used to do these bad things, but we're not going to say that it's sucking the lives of children. Right, right, right. Because we can't say that anymore. But I'm like, pick something else. Pick something pick else. literally something else yep. that they're back to do. What is their purpose from being back? What do they want to accomplish? It's not established. Yep. I agree. I agree. So, so? today we're going <laughs> to talk about something uh, ter- more, uh, at the time, more terrifying for... I would say significantly more terrifying. Significantly more terrifying than the Sanderson sisters. We're going to talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like, hard left in a U-turn. That's me taking a hard left oh. to the to the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> yeah, I'm del- I'm I mean not delighted by the Cuban Missile Crisis, but I'm delighted <laughs> by this episode topic. Yeah, because... we've been talking about doing this for a very long time. Mm-hmm. We sure have. Mm-hmm. We love a crisis. Love a crisis. Not that we want them, but just we do not want them at all. We like to just talk about them. them out there. Yeah, and I think with the climate of like Russia and like nuclear weapons surrounding the conversation with Russia and Ukraine seems as good as time as any seems great to talk about the last time we were afraid of somebody using nuclear weapons which was the Cuban Missile Crisis absolutely great name by the way too Cuban Missile Missile Crisis crisis. it's very succinct it sums it up in three three words words. succinct catchy I know exactly Mm -hmm. what's going on exactly it's really a testament to the idea that if you cannot come up with a succinct sentence about a story, you're working too hard. You're working too you're hard. You're working too hard. Cuban Missile Do less. Crisis. We get it. Mm-hmm. We Got get it. it. So let's do the sources. Yeah. Today's sources are, number one, the National Archives. Mm, yum. History.com, obviously. Obviously. Um, the JFK Library, because it was one of the things that JFK had to deal with in his short term as president. Mm-hmm. And the Department of State Office of the Historian. Oh, I love when we do the Office of the Historian. Office of the Historian. Ooh. We love the Office of the Historian. Shout out to the Office of the Historian. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh. Okay. Let's jump right into what was it? What was the Cuban Missile Crisis in a nutshell? Here we go. At the height of the Cold War, for two weeks in October 1962, the world teetered on the edge of a thermonuclear war. 
Earlier that fall, the Soviet Union, under orders from Premier Nikita Khrushchev, began to secretly deploy a nuclear strike force in Cuba, just 90 miles from the United States. That's very close. Very close. Very close. Not what you want. Just a bunch of ships with nuclear weapons? No, thank you. No, no. No, thank you. President John F. Kennedy said the missiles would not be tolerated and insisted on their removal. Khrushchev, you're going to make me say this Russian name like 30 times. (laughs) Khrushchev refused. The standoff nearly caused a nuclear exchange and is remembered in this country's history as the Cuban Missile Crisis. So basically, Khrushchev is like, here are all my missiles. I'm putting them literally right on your doorstep. JFK is like, you better remove those missiles. Khrushchev's like, "Um, no, I won't. JFK's like, bitch, you better. And there's tension and everybody's afraid. That's the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's the Cuban Missile Crisis. Except we didn't know. We found out, like, by accident that they did this. I love it. Yeah. For 13, one, three agonizing days from October 16th to October 28th, the United States and the Soviet Union stood on the brink of nuclear war. The peaceful resolution of the crisis with the Soviets is considered to be one of Kennedy's greatest achievements. I would say so, considering had he failed, there would have been no other achievements to have. Right. So we're coming up on the 13-day anniversary literally in two days days. from this recording. Two days. Wow. Yeah, and it started in 62. So that's, what's that? How many years is that? 60 years? Don't you? You tell me, girl. (laughs) I can't do that math. Six, 60 plus. So that's it 40. is written in my contract that I will not years. do math. <laughs> 60 years. <laughs> and our blood oath to each other, it is written, will not do math. Will not do math. Can occasionally be forced to say foreign sounding words and international. I just think that there's things. an extra syllable in, or yeah, in Khrushchev. I want to say Khrushchev, not Khrushchev. Well, it's Khrushchev. Khrushchev. It's just ha, 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 ha. You said the But Khrushchev. I want it to be Khrushchev. <laughs> but then you're putting in the extra syllable because it's, it's. That's what I'm saying. I'm putting in an extra syllable. Oh, okay. Got it. I get it. I get That's it. That's like, but like his, when I look at it, my brain reads it as three parts. I Khrushchev. Khrushchev. Not Khrushchev. Khrushchev. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. Bring us back to the start of this crisis. Okay, so here we go. We're starting from the top. After seizing power in the Caribbean island nation of Cuba in 1959, so just three three short years before this, leftist revolutionary leader Fidel Castro aligned himself with the Soviet Union. Under Castro, Cuba grew dependent on the Soviets for military and economic aid. Bad situation. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. During this time, the U.S. and the Soviets and their respective allies were engaged in the Cold War from 1945 to 1991, which was an ongoing series of largely political and economic clashes. So, yes, this is like in the in the whole grand scheme of the Cold War, the Cuban Missile Crisis is like a very hot point. Hot point. A peak I would also say something that'll pair super well with this episode uh, is our two-part series on the Berlin Wall. Oh, yeah. Because we also just did it. And also during the Cold War. 
A lot of back information on the Cold War there. That's very true. So. That's very true. The two superpowers, the Soviets and the United States, plunged into one of their biggest Cold War confrontations after the pilot of an American U-2 spy plane, piloted by Major Richard Heiser, shout out to Richard Heiser, saving Dick the Heiser. literal world, mm. made a high-altitude pass over Cuba on October 14th, 1962. Literally, the anniversary is today, the day we're recording. October 14th, 1962, he's flying over Cuba from a high, high position bird's eye. And he photographed a Soviet SS-4 medium range ballistic missile being assembled for installation. The fact that this guy, I'm like, what's that down there? Land? Interesting. The fact that this guy is like, oh, that looks like a bomb. Imagine, imagine. He's like, oh my God. Oh my God. I've got got it. I've got to call somebody. I've got to call somebody. Hello, there's, Mr. There's President. There's missiles. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get it back. I would be so stressed out. I would be so stressed out as Richard. be like Because re- I obviously he knows what he's looking at. Yeah. And just realizing what he's seen. And being the being only like, person I've apparently. i got to get to the Pentagon. Right. <laughs> being the only person. There was a time, a very short amount of time, maybe like, what, two hours? However long it takes to fly back to wherever he was going to. Right. Where Richard Heiser was the only human on the face of the planet. Well, that's not true. The only American human on the there face of the planet who knew that the Soviets had missiles. I don't want that information. No. I don't want to be the only person to no. know anything. It's very stressful. I'm betting Richard made at the time I twenty grand a year. Like that's I no no. He's just a pilot. He's just a he's just a pilot taking some pictures. And you and you stumble upon the Cuban Missile Crisis. Whew. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that stress. No, I don't want that stress. So he's photographing these secret missiles. President Kennedy was briefed about the situation on October 16th. So two days later. Oh, my God. I just well, feel like. Well, I'm sure it went through chains of command, right? right? right like, right. he got back, and then he told his person, who then was like, ooh, let me look at, or let me develop these pictures, which is right. going to take, <laughs> what, 12 hours in a dark room on a ship, maybe? That's very true. And then they're like, ooh, these look like missiles. We got to, oh, gosh. Oh, let's gosh. bring this to the bring this over to the uh, general <laughs> we've got missiles oh golly let me that's me telegramming the pentagon right the pentagon being like oh god the soviet has missiles that's telegramming the white house the white house picks up the phone and it's like hello the general's like hello there's missiles and then they're like hold on let me get the president on the phone right he's at lunch he'll call you back and then and then we finally get to jfk right two days later which yes it's 1962 there's a lot of, it's a lot of, it takes a lot to communicate. So um, President Kennedy immediately called together a group of advisors and officials known as the Executive Committee or XCOM gathered and started to make a plan. For nearly the next two weeks, the president and his team wrestled with a diplomatic crisis of epic proportions, as did their counterparts in the Soviet Union. So everybody's fully aware of what the situation is and they're basically just trying to like negotiate and like one up each other basically like you know some advisors including all of the joint chiefs of staff argued for an airstrike to destroy the missiles i'm just gonna say that sounds like a bad idea cuba as we (laughs) have talked about still very close to, to the united states and if they have one secret missile you might 
they probably have more secret things. Yeah, I got it. Let's uh, hear hear me out. Let's blow up the nuclear weapons. Great idea. Perfect. Love that say, idea. Say less. Say, say less. Say less. Say it again, and then listen to your own words. So they wanted to destroy the missiles with an airstrike, and then uh, follow that up with an invasion of Cuba. Great idea. Sure. Others favored stern warnings to Cuba and the Soviet <laughs> Union. Because remember, so now it's like, it's not like the Soviet Union has been like, like, they're not strong arming Cuba. Cuba's like, sure, come. Did you, is this, Put them on. is this space okay? It has a foyer. Yeah. A, an Eden kitchen. Do you, yeah. do you want Make a bigger one? Home. Make yourself at home. Yeah. The president decided upon a middle course. On October 22nd, he ordered a naval quarantine of Cuba. Which sounds like something dirty, but it's not. It means a, a separate, a, a creating a barrier with the Navy. <laughs> Honey, at this point, we all know what quarantine means. <laughs> I just think it's funny. Like a naval quarantine, like a naval. Sure. <laughs> like, a, like a belly button? Like a belly Are you button. making a... <laughs> Arden. Sometimes I'm the child. Arden, people come here for high quality education. Sometimes I'm the child. <laughs> a naval quarantine. Like, don't I you got just, you. Don't you just see like Live little army life. men standing around the precipice of a belly button being like, get out of here. No, no. 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 One falls in. No. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, so, so he's ordering a naval quarantine of Cuba, <laughs> but now it's all you will ever think of when you hear the words naval quarantine. That's all you'll yes. hear of. That's all you think of. It's true. That's it. Um, the use of the quarantine legally distinguished this action from a blockade, which assumed a state of war existed. So you could only really do what he was doing <laughs> legally if you wanted to declare war. And I'm not sure if you would have to declare war on the United, on the Soviet Union or on Cuba. But they didn't want to do that because they didn't want to declare war because, again, it's the Cold War. Cold War. Shh. Burr. Cold War. Yeah. We do everything in secret and behind everybody's back. Yeah. I love the semantics of this, though. This isn't a blockade. No. It's a quarantine. It's a quarantine. And for it to be a blockade, we'd have to be at war. We're not. We're not at war. So you know what We're it is? Not. It's a quarantine. Yeah. I'm not at war. Are you at war? You're Nobody's at war. At war. <laughs> That's what I feel like the Cold War was. Each side being like, um, nobody's at war here. Mm-hmm. We're just putting our ships in front yep. of your ships. <laughs> yep. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Continuing with the notes. So the same day, October 22nd, this was when the quarantine, not the blockade, starts. That same day, Kennedy sent a letter to Khrushchev declaring that the United States would not permit offensive weapons to be delivered to Cuba and demanded that the Soviets dismantle the missile bases already under construction or completed and return all offensive weapons to the USSR. He's like, you better pack up your stuff and get, go on, get. Get. We're not, mm No. The letter was a first in a series of direct and indirect communications between the White House and the Kremlin throughout the remainder of the crisis. Pen pals. Pen pals. The president also went on national television that evening to inform the public of the developments in Cuba, his decisions to initiate and enforce a quarantine, and the potential global consequences if the crisis continued to escalate. The tone of the president's remark was stern and the message unmistakable and evocative of the Monroe Doctrine. Quote, It shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States, requiring a full retaliatory response upon the Soviet Union. End quote. That was my uh, that was, JFK impression. That was very good. You had the like couple of ahs. Yeah, yeah. You had that going on. I fully appreciated that. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Great, great speech. Great speech. Great speech. He's basically yep. being like, "Look, I am drawing a line in the sand. You cross this line, you're attacking the United States, and yep. not what? In this is sixty-two, not twenty years ago, fifteen years ago." We dropped a nuclear bomb on Japan. So like, <laughs> so like, come at me. Right, is right, what right. I feel like he's saying. Come at me. Oh, yeah. He's like, we'll do it again. The Joint Chiefs of Staff announced a military readiness state of DEFCON 3 as U.S. naval forces began implementation of the quarantine and plans accelerated for a military strike on Cuba. Following the public declaration, people around the globe nervously waited for the Soviet response. Some Americans, fearing their country was on the brink of nuclear war, hoarded food and gas. And that's where you get the duck and cover. Uh-huh. The, the like, the, the propaganda, maybe propaganda is not the right word, but like the, 
stuff that was coming out in this time of like like music like like children's cartoons music basically all of these things oh yeah duck and cover duck and cover basically teaching kids how to hide in like schools if there's a nuclear attack yeah it's wild the the stuff that came out in this time period yeah i also can't imagine i mean i guess i after 9-11 where there was that period of time where it was like is something else gonna happen Mm -hmm. like it's kind of it to me has kind of that same feeling yeah although obviously nuclear bombs much more yeah 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 people were afeared people were afeared and and you know what i would be stressed i would be stressed so the tensions escalate. Sure. On October 24th, Khrushchev responded to Kennedy's message with a statement that he, that the U.S. quote blockade was an act of aggression, and that the Soviet ships bound for Cuba would be ordered to proceed. So he's like, "Fuck your quarantine term. This <laughs> is a blockade, and it's an act of aggression because we're we're just over at our friend's house. I don't know yeah. why you're getting so upset." Yeah, you don't and have the right to stop my ships. No, and so we're going to keep coming. We're going to keep coming. Nevertheless, during October 24th and 25th, some ships turned back from the quarantine line while others were stopped by U.S. naval forces, but they contained no offensive weapons and so were all allowed to proceed. Okay. Look, you don't got missiles? Go. It's okay. We don't have a problem with your ships. You have a problem have with your it. missiles and it's your the missiles. It's the missiles that we don't love. No, don't love that. Meanwhile, U.S. reconnaissance flights over Cuba indicated that the Soviet missile sites were nearing operational readiness. So they're like, there's nothing to see here. No, ignore the big bomb. I'm fine. I'm fine. With no apparent end to the crisis in sight, U.S. forces were placed at a DEFCON 2, meaning war involving the Strategic Air Command was imminent. Whew. I know. You don't want the DEFCONs to go... No, no. To, to go up. Hot, but the the lower we get in number, the the worse it means. It worse it means. We Defcon um, one means that there were we there were there we're fighting right now. We're actively at war, actively yeah. fighting off a nuclear bomb. On October twenty sixth, Kennedy told his advisors it appeared that only a U.S. attack on Cuba would remove the missiles, but he insisted on giving the diplomatic channel a little more time. The crisis had reached a virtual stalemate. That afternoon, however, the crisis took a dramatic turn. ABC News correspondent John Scally reported to the White House that he had been approached by a Soviet agent, suggesting that an agreement could be reached in which the Soviets would remove their missiles from Cuba if the United States promised not to invade the island. Imagine being ABC News correspondent John Scally. Having having oh a God. Soviet agent, arguably a KGB agent, approach him and be like, "There, there is another way. There's another way." Like, what? How do you? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure he probably knew how to get in touch with the White House, but like, I just imagine being approached by a Russian agent and like being told the information on how to like, let's say, end the war in Ukraine, and right. just being like, "Oh my God, how do I get in touch? Who do I call? Who do I call with this?" I information? think you just walk up to the White House, just like you do the Supreme Court, and you go, "Hello, ding dong, knock knock, ding dong." I've got the answer. <laughs> it's Lizzie. Like, 
because you know everybody this is all anybody is talking about at this point it is all anybody is thinking about is the only thing that the news is covering and john is the guy that they approach and he's like oh shit i gotta i gotta talk to the president of the united Uh, states somebody give me his his number how do i get in touch with him um i'm here to see i mean john it's john john (laughs) it's john i've got news got a huge huge deal for you I didn't know that it was through this channel in which we we started figuring some stuff out. That's funny. I also love that this this like Soviet agent, it's like somebody told him like, go find a reporter. Yeah. And say to the reporter, we won't if you won't. Mm-hmm. And JFK is like, bitch, I won't. <laughs> I, bitch, I won't. I don't want to. This is not you thing I want. You <laughs> I've I've been thank you for coming to the table a little late but better late than never yeah go go that's literally all I'm asking you to do is leave go back to the USSR take your missiles take your missiles with you so while the White House staff scrambled to assess the validity of this quote back channel offer Khrushchev sent Kennedy a message the evening of October 26th which meant it was sent in the middle of the night Moscow time. It was a long emotional message that raised the specter of nuclear holocaust and presented a proposed resolution that remarkably resembled what Scali reported earlier that day. Great. So they are choosing to believe this poor correspondent, who I'm sorry, probably was in fear for his life when this guy was like, I'm a Soviet agent. Yeah, you don't want to be Here's a message from the Kremlin. Yeah. (laughs) You really don't want it. I've seen Atomic Blonde. I know what happens. It's bad. <laughs> the documentary Atomic Blonde. I love it. With, with Charlize Theron, yes. Mm-hmm. The documentary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen, that movie is so good and it's hot. And it's She's so hot. Good. She's hot. She's hot, hot in that movie. Yeah. So, quote, says the letter from, from Nikita Khrushchev. If there is no intention, he said, to doom the world to the catastrophe of thermonuclear war, then let us not only relax the forces pulling on the ends of the rope. All right, a metaphor. I a mean, metaphor. it's a great metaphor. It's a great metaphor. Yes, let's let go of the rope. Mm-hmm. Let us, he continues, Nikita Khrushchev, quote, let us take measures to untie that knot. We are ready for this. Let bygones be bygones. bygones. I love that Kennedy's like, how about you just don't do what you're doing? And Nikita Khrushchev is like, I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. But, okay, but how about you don't? I don't like that plan. Okay, but but hear me out. You don't. I don't hear you. Except I'm going to slip you this secret note under the table that says, I really do hear you and I really I want to you. stop doing this. And I'm really sorry. Can we please stop playing this? This got out of hand. This, this got, got out, out of hand. hand. Yeah. I don't like it. It is, it is kind of funny. It is. It, it's. This letter is a little gaslighty to me. It's so gaslighty. He's like, let's stop barreling towards nuclear catastrophe. And we, we, you and I are ready to relax. Yeah. And I, I imagine being JFK and just being like, literally, you started it. You started it. <laughs> you started it. You brought you, started mis- you were this. setting up missiles in Cuba. Right. Like, well, how am I supposed to take that, Nikita? Right. How am I supposed to take that? Nikita. <laughs> yeah, let's untie the rope. I literally said my first letter, if you recall, per my previous email, Nikita, I said, why don't you take you take everything back to the USSR? No harm, no foul. And you said, no, no, no. And now you're telling me we're ready for this? I be- if 
I've been ready. And if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready, Nikita. Mm-mm. Go off. Take go your off. misses and go home. Go home. Go. Go. Please. Go. <laughs> so although U.S. experts were convinced the message from Khrushchev was authentic, hope for a resolution was short-lived. Oh, God. Nikita. Nikita. You slippery eel. I know. The next day, October 27th, Khrushchev sent another message (laughs) indicating that any proposed deal must include the removal of the U.S. Jupiter missiles from Turkey. So he's like, (laughs) P.S. before, (laughs) but if you really want us to get out of Cuba, you also have to then get out of Turkey. Like, we'll leave if you leave. I feel as though it sounds like one of those, just the timing of it. It's like he sends us at the middle of the night, probably... Without his full advisory board informing him on what to do, then they get wind that he wants to strike a deal and they're like, oh, you should ask for this. And he's like, damn it. I already sent it. All right. Should have asked for that. Hold on. And by the by, remove the U.S. missiles from Turkey. The same day, a U.S. U-2 reconnaissance jet was shot down over Cuba. Okay. Big mistake. Big mistake. Big mistake. Kennedy and his advisors prepared for an attack on Cuba within days as they searched for any remaining diplomatic resolution. I mean, yeah, you shoot down a plane, you're 90 miles from our shore. Like, what do you want us to do? Yeah. Also, you're not really here. Like, you've you've got Cuba, which still is living in the 1960s, and... How, I don't know how many soldiers and bombs and whatever you have, but what did you think was going to happen? Like you, like yeah, it just seems like not great strategically on the yeah. part of the Soviet Union. It is a weird, I you know, it's such a yeah. I'm sure that there are many, many very eloquent thoughts on why the Soviets did this and if they were successful in whatever it is they were trying to accomplish, right. For me, it's a little bit of a question mark because, well, let's talk about the deal and then we can, because I feel like this is like me wrapping my thoughts around the whole thing. So this is the deal that they ended up striking because obviously we did not end up invading Cuba. Something happened. And we did not all die. Something happened. We did not all die by nuclear annihilation. That's right. That means that the pen pals figured it out. Mm -hmm. This is what happened. Yeah. Officially... The Kennedy administration decided to accept the terms of the first message and ignore the second Khrushchev letter entirely. I love. Perfect. Perfect. I just, I'm like, oh, I didn't I get it. I, could I do didn't that. see your text. <laughs> I'm going to take this first email that says, take a vacation. And this second email that says, but first do these things and ignore that one. Yeah. And just read the vacation email. That sounds great. Yeah, I'd be like, we're going off of this message. You should have put Shouldn't it all in one it. document. That's we your should fault. Have put it all in one document. Shouldn't have sent it. Shouldn't have sent it. So that's that's the official thing. Privately, however, American officials also agreed to withdraw their nation's missiles from Turkey. So they basically were like, all right, we're going to do this, but we're going to do this under the table because we're going to seem like we are the victors here. Right. Of like, we stopped you from doing whatever it was you were trying to accomplish. Yeah. And yes, you can have, we'll take the, we'll take the missiles. You literally could have just asked. Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> we could have just talked about it. Right. U.S. Attorney General Robert Kennedy, which again, it is so insane to me that Robert Kennedy was JFK's attorney general. Like, I'll never, I'll never get over it. Wait, why? Because they're related. Right. You, you don't see that as like a massive conflict of interest? Oh, sure. But that's just U.S. dot. Like, I know, the, but like. The Bushes? But- well, no, but but they but they were not at the same time. They're That's not true. The, like That's to true. me, the attorney general is like supposed to uphold the law, and that includes yeah. like to the president, right? Whereas like Papa Bush and Baby Bush, they were doing the same thing. You know what I mean? And like. That's true. I was thinking more in terms of like dynasties, right? Like Robert Kennedy reports to JFK. Right. But also has to, like, pursue... I mean, of course, I'm thinking of in a 22 mindset where it's, like, imagine that, like, Trump's brother was his attorney general. Right. You know, it would... Like, or Biden's brother. Like, it it would be so... It's just so crazy to me. Yep. Anywho. So, AG Bobby Kennedy personally delivered the message to the Soviet ambassador in Washington. And on October 28th, the crisis drew, the crisis drew to a close. So Bobby goes to the Soviets and is like, officially you're removing your stuff. Also a weird thing for the attorney general to do. I know it's like a diplomat. Like it seems like the secretary of state should do this. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I think Bobby Kennedy as the AG is one of the craziest things because, like, this is not... He's doing diplomatic stuff. Right, right, right. But regardless, the message is delivered. Mm-hmm. Both the Americans and the Soviets were sobered by the Cuban Missile Crisis. The following year, a direct, quote, hotline communication link was installed between Washington and Moscow to help defuse similar situations, and the superpowers signed two treaties related to nuclear weapons. Yes. So I wonder, I wonder, I imagine it still is active, but if the hotline is still, like if Biden is currently using the hotline to talk to Putin, you know? Picking up the tin can. (sighs) Got it. Got it. Great. Roger I won't if you want. <laughs> crazy. Uh, it's a crazy. crazy. Yeah, I wish I knew what, what they were trying to accomplish, what the Soviets were trying to accomplish with this. My guess is just a show of force, you yeah. know, a little provocation. Trying to push boundaries. Yes. It's that, again, I don't know why my metaphors always go back to children. I think because, (laughs) like, they just, politics really lends itself to that. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, two siblings who are like, I'm not touching you. You can't get mad. I'm Mm -hmm. just sitting here. I'm just, like, I'm I'm just sitting here with my friend. Like, I'm not being annoying to you at all. Meanwhile, they're, like, in their face. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's such a weird. Yeah. Such a weird move. On, yep. on the Soviets. And I mean, you know, d- to his credit, I agree. I think this is like when you think of crisis diplomacy, like this is the the best diplomatic response 
one of the best diplomatic response in our nation's history. Yeah. Like yeah. avoiding boots on the ground at all costs. Yeah. Wild. Wild. Crazy. Well, sort of happy anniversary to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, let's say happy anniversary to the Cuban Missile Crisis resolution. Because I'm glad we didn't end up... Um, doing anything more than uh, sort of exchanging some letters and signing some treaties. But that is the end of our Cuban Missile Crisis episode. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to us. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.